Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with We Are Guernsey and the Guernsey International Insurance Association, also known as GEAR. At the beginning of August, we released a short with London and Capital on ESG investment strategies for captives. And over the next 20 minutes, we are going to take that conversation a step further. Earlier this year, GEAR launched its ESG framework for insurers and an accreditation scheme in conjunction with ESI Monitor to create a kite mark to validate insurers' ESG considerations. And this is very much aimed at captives as well. Now, ESG is a big, broad issue, and it's fair to say that the conversation and regulatory requirements related to it are further along in development in Europe than they are in the US. But I certainly see this initiative from Guernsey as a really positive step for the industry, and I'm sure one other jurisdictions will look to and perhaps even consider replicating. I have included a few helpful links to further information on the ESG framework itself, as well as to our previous GCP short on ESG investment strategies. But now let's hear from Mark Elliott of Humboldt Re and Adele Gale from Robus Group, who are speaking to me in their roles as chair and deputy chair of GEAR, respectively. Mark, we are talking about ESG, where particularly in the UK and Europe, a lot at the moment. It's certainly a major issue for corporates and commercial insurers. So why has Guernsey decided to to be proactive um, on this topic? I guess the reason we've decided to be proactive on the topic is because we've seen many clients of ours raise this topic with us already. We're seeing the general state of the market, the insurance market, turning towards ESG and understanding how insurance and ESG um, correlate with each other. And we feel that as Guernsey, we should be playing our our role in that uh, process as well on a, on a local level. So I guess that's why we've decided to pursue this. Probably even more fundamentally, I think as a committee of the Guernsey International Insurance Association, we've got members on there now that really have a, a passion for this particular subject. And therefore, I think we feel we've got some impetus there from a personal point of view to really drive this initiative. Along with the wider issues, we've also got some real um, drive from a personal perspective as well to go and pursue this initiative. And I think ultimately, what's being proactive now is what the rest of the market will be doing soon anyway. So we feel like we want to, this is the way, the direction of travel, and this is where we want to be ahead of anyway. No, I think that's a really interesting point in that last one, Mark, regarding being ahead of a direction of travel. We had in our magazine uh, recently, we, we've talked, had a, a big cover feature about ESG and about different initiatives that the insurance industry are taking. And obviously, captives may well have to follow suit in some regard because if uh, the commercial market is is taking the ESG principles more seriously and things like premium pricing, then, then captives will probably have to follow that to some degree, particularly when it comes to things like reinsurance anyway. Adele, obviously ESG is a is a big, it's quite a broad term. Uh, it can be interpreted in many different ways and many different sectors. What do you think ESG should mean for captives, captive owners and, and their risk managers? You're right. ESG is a massive topic. And I think for some captive owners, it, it's a bit of a headache, really. Uh, it's such a broad broad subject. And for a vehicle that has no employees that is undertaking um, you know, writing insurance policies for its wider group, it can sometimes be really difficult to understand how to break that massive topic down into small bite-sized chunks and actually digest it. 
I think for many of our captives in Guernsey, their corporates have been embracing ESG for a long time. And it's a real struggle to fit the captive into the neat little boxes of their ESG policies. And this framework is trying to help them do that. And I think for others, for for the risk managers, it's really a struggle to work out how their parts, their small cog in the wider corporate structure can have an impact on environmental, social and and governance issues and how the captive can impact uh, the wider group and help it to achieve um, its its ESG aims or help to create what those aims should be. I don't think that we expect ESG for a, for a captive to mean that it can go out and, and fight the worst perpetrators of climate change or that it can uh, combat crimes against humanity. It's really trying to find a way to digest that massive ESG topic into small chunks that, that risk managers and captives can get to grips with and really start to make small changes that help um, us as a, as, a, as a world meet the sustainable development goals set by the UN and create a better, more sustainable way of living. So obviously the um, Guernsey International Insurance Association, GEAR, launched uh, this ESG framework for insurers in May. What does the framework set out, Adele, and how is it meant to be used by insurers in the jurisdiction? Is it meant to be a tool which can help captives or other insurers make sense of the role they can play with regards to ESG? It is. Um, it's also designed to help those that are already at the cutting edge of fighting climate change or, or crimes against humanity or, or helping in the um, wake of an earthquake to you know, get valuable resources to those people affected. So there are those vehicles that are set up in Guernsey and having a badge that this ESG framework allows them to have to say and to reward and to recognise that good work is really helpful. But I would say that they are in the vast minority um, and in fact the majority of our cap are kind of trying to grapple with this issue on a much broader scale and trying to work out how they can do their bit. So for, for them, this framework is meant to be a handrail, a way for them to broach the subjects and to start to tackle the kind of the, the massive subject that it is. So the framework we've split into four sections. We have a section on governance, which deals with the UN principles for sustainable insurance and makes sure that the captives' objectives are really aligned with those. And every time that a, a conversation happens in a boardroom, we want ESG to be a part of that. And, this, and, you know, a proportionate part, we don't want it to kind of be th- the main topic of conversation. But if, if investment strategy is being d- discussed, it's right and proper that, that there is a sentence in the investment guidelines that says, you know, uh, we expect a minimum um, sustainalytics rating of triple B or good or an MSCI rating of this. Um, just alongside, as you'd expect to see a, a rating from Standard & Poor's of AA for, for a bank deposit. And I think that this framework is trying to introduce that. So the governance part of this is incredibly important. Underwriting guidelines should have mention of ESG, investment guidelines, the strategic objectives of the, of the captive. It's important to really think about those and think about how ESG could be introduced into those. And perhaps in a negative way, you know, just saying that we're, we're aiming that the captive won't have a negative impact on the environment rather than it having to potentially have some, some sort of positive goal it's trying to achieve. Um, pillar two is about underwriting or the liabilities side of the balance sheet and making sure that there's sort of consideration given to the types of policies that are desired by the group corporate and, and ensuring that where it's possible to tweak those to improve the impact that it has on the environment or on communities that, that those policy clauses are included and that there aren't any other 
parts of the of the portfolio policies written that do harm to the to those things. Um, pillar three is about investments and the asset side, as I've mentioned before, and pillar four is on disclosure. So we're not trying to be idealistic about what captives can achieve, um, but we do feel that there is a gap in terms of needing a handrail to walk boards through this ESG process. And we hope that this framework helps. I think for corporates, ESG is a massive, a massive issue. And I think during 2020, 90% of investors have made changes to their ESG investing. And, and it, so it is a topic that's very much on the agenda of, of corporates around the world. And we want to help captives to play their part and to assist their parent companies in, in achieving those aims and, and delivering that. I think that point regarding the kind of handrail for boards and giving boards a framework or a way to to have the conversation to really consider um, ESG when they're making decisions about how the captives run or about investment um, strategies is is really, really important. And as we know, there are lots of new captives being formed at the moment. And you'd like to think that corporates, when they're forming captives, you know, this isn't just restricted to new captives, but corporates, when they're forming captives, should be thinking about, well, what role does our captive as a new subsidiary play in our wider ESG objectives and how could it even support our own ESG objectives? Mark, how was the framework designed and, and brought together then? What kind of um, input, how, how did it come about really and, and how was it uh, brought together? So once we once we decided this is where we wanted to go, we wanted to introduce a framework, um, we then set about the difficult task of building one and um, we, there wasn't really anywhere to look um, to, to sort of plagiarize from anywhere else. This was starting from scratch really. So what we really started to do was look at what's the best basis to build the framework upon. And we felt that the UN Sustainable uh, Development Goals were those principles which we wanted to kind of hang the whole framework off. So I think we're very confident in that decision. We, we sought some advice on it, and I think everyone feels that they are a very good set of standards to build a framework upon. So that's the basis of this. It all comes back to the UN Sustainable Sustainable Development Goals. Um, so all of the pillars effectively hang off that and, and correlate to it. So we took that as, a, as the basic starting point, and then we built the four pillars uh, accordingly. And really what we did is we were starting to des- design the framework, and really we wanted to make it simple, uh, but we wanted to cover the most important elements because a framework can be as wide or as narrow as, as you want to make it. And clearly one of the barriers is if you make it too complex and too cumbersome, no one will use the framework. So there's a fine balance there, and I think we're quite pleased with what we ended up with, which is a practical, pragmatic framework, which we think people can use from all sorts of organizations. And we think captives can really use the framework quickly and easily and bring the conversations about in in the boardroom and have those conversations using the framework as the handrail, as as, as Adele mentioned. So that's what we wanted to aim for. And that's how it was designed uh, and brought together. We sought some outside input from various experts in the sustainable and ESG field. We combined that with our industry knowledge and insurance and came up with the the four key pillars there um so that's how it came about but clearly the the challenging part was really deciding what to include and what to leave out and what sort of thresholds we wanted to start with uh within the framework and i think we've started at a, a reasonable level but i think we can progress from here and become slightly more um targeted in some of those thresholds as we move forward and as the world moves forward in esg targets and the framework can adapt accordingly. Mark, you mentioned that this is a pretty innovative move from, from Guernsey, you know, a relatively unique move. I think one of the first adopters of, or the first adopter of, of such a framework for insurers in, in, a, in a jurisdiction. Would you expect that we'll see 
other large insurance jurisdictions, whether they're other, other offshore jurisdictions, other parts of the world, onshore in the EU, in, in America? Do you, do you think we will see similar initiatives taken up? And have you already had conversations or inquiries from from partners in, in other jurisdictions? Yeah, it's a really good question, Richard. And the answer is, I mean, the, the, the amount of traction that this particular initiative has, has sort of gathered worldwide has been been unprecedented, really. I think particularly from the US domiciles, we've seen a lot of inquiries from them that have really been impressed by this and said, well, how can we join in? How can we do something similar? So whilst part of us is very proud that Guernsey is, is leading on this, actually what we're more proud about is trying to bring the whole captive industry with us and make sure that we're driving standards for everybody here. So I don't think we view this as a pure Guernsey plan. We really view this as trying to trying to sort of lead the market and lead uh, the captive market and say let's let's try and adopt these ESG standards on a wider basis. That's probably the next evolution of this. So absolutely, we've had an awful lot of interest here, and we're trying to be collegiate in how we share this and how we uh, talk to other domiciles to make sure that we all improve. I mean, I guess at the genesis of the idea was a little bit of frustration around um, the amount of people that talk around ESG and the lack of action. So we yeah. we felt really let's bite the bullet and do something. And the framework's not perfect. It never will be perfect. But what it is, is it's something that we've invested in, in financial terms, but also in time. It's taken over a year to, to, to get it off the ground. We've really put a lot of thought into it. And we're very proud to make a start on it and to develop it from there. And I think talk is cheap in the ESG world. We see it all the time, you know, in many, many news articles around ESG. Everyone says ESG compliance. Everyone says how correlated ESG is to insurance. Well, this is the the, the actual framework where you can actually further those conversations and prove it. And I think that's that's really where we wanted to move this to. Less talking, more action. Let's actually create a framework. Let's have the conversations at board meetings. And actually, we've been so impressed with some of our clients that have adopted this already and had the discussion. And actually, in many ways, the conversation around the framework is the important part. Once it's raised at the board meeting and we start discussing with parent companies what they are doing in the ESG space, how it correlates with their captive. The, 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 the conversation goes in all sorts of directions around different policies you can cover, around what sort of disposals they might have uh, in place in terms of their portfolio of different companies and their in their subsidiaries that aren't compliant with ESG standards. So I've seen it firsthand how some risk managers are really using this to drive change in the business. So we see it as being part of that ecosystem with the parent companies, helping to support them and drive that conversation in the captive board meeting, which can go back up. Or as Adele mentioned before, sometimes the initiatives come down from group and they can just get embedded in the captive. Either way, it can work the framework from top down or, or sort of bottom up approach. And, and just, just to clarify, Mark, presumably insurers or, or captives, which are, which are jurists, um, which are domiciled in Guernsey, th- this, this framework is, is there to be used. It's not something which has been sold. It's just, it's there, it's on the shelf, which, which, which captives can apply to themselves as, as they see fit. Yeah, absolutely, Richard. So it's, uh, you've got to be a member of GIA, of the Guernsey International Insurance Association, or user manager that is. So that's the vast majority of captives will already comply with that element. There's a cost, a uh, very small cost if you want to get accredited. But in many ways, the framework is available to any member and that conversation can start and you can self-certify on that basis right now. So we're really not trying to use this as a sort of commercial mechanism to, to generate revenue. We're trying to use it really to help further conversations and actually affect real change. 
change. Uh, that's what our, our goal here is. And, and just to add to that, really, um, beyond not trying to uh, commercialize this framework, we're actually also running training sessions and proactively trying to support our 800 insurers on the island to, to adopt the framework. So Mark and I have done a number of training sessions to non-exec directors internally within different insurance managers. We've set up um, a subcommittee of GEAR, which one of our um, colleagues on the island chairs, and that subcommittee is designed to cross-pollinate ideas to establish standards by which the framework, you know, uh, whether a policy complies with the framework or not. We're, we're using that forum to discuss those those topics and create some standardization across the captive industry in Guernsey as to what we deem to be compliant or not, um, sharing templates and, and really doing what we can to um, assist boards to have conversations around the framework and to choose to adopt it or to just use it as a handrail for discussions, acknowledging that maybe they'll never get to the point where they can actually adopt it, but generate as much value from it as they can. Well, it, it, sound, it sounds fascinating, to be honest. It sounds like obviously Guernsey's been very, very proactive in in making these resources available and and helping captives and insurers go on go on this journey. So, Mark, you mentioned there in passing uh, de accreditations. Let, let's talk a bit more about that. So, GIA has also partnered with ESI Monitor to create an accreditation scheme for insurers to recognise their ESG considerations and impact. What what does this process look like, and and how how do they go about achieving this? Yeah, so um, we we initially thought about the certification process, and we're very happy with that in, as it stands. But clearly, there's a an audit piece around. Well, how can we justify a, a, a giving a kite mark to a, a party if they wanted to get accreditation for it without any sort of third party oversight? So, our initial thoughts were to look at sort of big four accounting firms. You know, this sort of traditional way of going down this route, and we we, we thought about that, and then we thought actually maybe we should be going down a path where we seek sustainability experts. We're not trying to. We're trying not to get too too many finance experts here. We want some sustainability experts in here to really provide a different viewpoint and really validate this from a sustainable ESG perspective, not from a financial perspective. So actually, we when we looked at it and we we were introduced to ESI Monitor, who are a very innovative local company um, providing sort of benchmarking and reporting standards around ESG. Anyway, we thought the fit could be very good. So when they came up with a validation protocol for us to consider, we looked at it and thought actually, this is a perfect combination because the vast majority of the work will already be carried out by the captive board and the insurance manager uh, before it gets to them. So really what we're looking for is some value add from this piece and some they'll do the traditional oversight role, but also they'll add some value. They're very... Um, uh, they're very knowledgeable about sustainability and ESG anyway. So we thought actually there'd be a very good combination. So what we decided to do was to appoint ESI Monitor as, as the accreditation partner of the framework. And we're very pleased about that. So they will be doing the oversight if you want to apply for the kite mark. Um, and they will be looking at the documentation that backs up the compliance with the four pillars of the framework and making sure that it is um, complied with. That's at its most basic level. At its more developed level, we think ESI Monitor will end up partnering with captives and with uh, multinationals to really help drive real change in their ESG program. So that you can take this as far as you want. The first simple step is a very small fee to get a, an accreditation of the of the kite mark. I kind of hope boards go beyond that and say, actually, we don't just want to accredit the, the framework. We want to, we want to improve on the framework. We want to build on the framework. ESI Monitor might be a good partner to help us develop that. And um, so I think that might be the even of that relationship, which we wanted to be more than just a audit firm ticking a box saying this has been complied with. That's um, that's how we're thinking and why we're thinking a little bit differently to maybe traditionally. 
So um, I've got a follow-up question there, Mark, but I might actually put it into my question, next question to Adele as we wrap up because I'd be interested to hear, Adele, you know, how much interest, I think you've touched on it already really, but how much interest have you had from captives specifically in the framework and the accreditation scheme? And, and how do you think it's going to have real tangible benefits and advantages for, for captives to embrace this? And, and the, my follow-up was going to be, for example, the kite mark. You know, we know that the commercial insurance market is looking much more closer at their client CSG ratings. Presumably, a captive have, having such a kite mark, you know, when they have reinsurance discussions with the reinsurance market may well have a benefit there. So where do you see uh, the interest coming from, from captives? And, and where do you think they see the advantages of this? Every single one of the insurers I've spoken to has been looking to, to seek self-certification to this framework. And a number of them are also interested in the accreditation from ESI Monitor. I think that it's, it's brilliant to be able to have those conversations and, and make those conversations so so easy for the boards to have. And I think they've been quite surprised actually at how, how easy and digestible the framework is and how simple it is to start having those conversations and making an impact. And it's been really positively received by directors, non-exec directors, by uh, directors at a group level, lots of people saying, wow, this has been a massive subject for me for a long time. And, and now I've got a way that I can easily prove to, to the group corporate that, that the captive is doing its bit. Um, I think as well for, as brokers and as the reinsurance markets in particular uh, start looking more at ESG ratings and start overlaying some of the, um, the UN's principles for sustainable insurance, some of the Lloyd's um, requirements coming out in the 2020 ESG report, I think ESG is going to become much more important in terms of placing uh, reinsurance. And, and I'm sure brokers are, are in time going to switch on to the importance of this, I think, driven by the reinsurers and, and that captives being ready for those conversations will be incredibly powerful in seeking the, those difficult placements and, and getting the cover that they need. Yeah, I think just to add to that, I, I mean, I, I, I met with a risk manager recently on a talk about the framework and his first reaction was, this is exactly what my boss is looking for me to report on on all our subsidiaries. And this makes my life easy because I can use the framework, I can report on the captive uh, adherence to ESG um, components and report that back up the chain. And whether that's a positive or a negative um, aspect here, in many ways, the framework identifying negative behavior is as important as positive, really, because that helps drive change. And I think that's what this risk manager said to me. It's just an easy way that he can report back up to group. And I think that was what they felt was the the, the real benefit here was everyone's playing their part. I think the, the impression I got was in future, not only will subsidiaries of corporates end up having to present P&Ls for their own particular um, operational units, they're going to have to present their ESG credentials and their carbon footprint for each of their units. And this framework is really making it simple. So when you set up a captive in Guernsey, it's going to make your life easy because you can record easily what your ESG credentials are, whether they be good or bad, back up to group. And I think that's going to become a, a an ongoing requirement. And I think maybe another point I'd make is we recently had a, a non-executive director in the insurance market sort of asking the question, why do we have to comply with this latest set of compliance? And when we explain, actually, this isn't a set of compliance. This is a proactive, optional element that we think you should be adopting as a board anyway. The penny dropped a little bit and they thought, ah, so a captive not just having to comply with minimum standards, but actually being proactive, thinking about the future, thinking about what policies we're writing, what we're investing in from an ESG perspective in a simple way. 
what a good idea. So I think it's interesting just to look at how far down the compliance route captives have become and how enlightening it is that we're not just looking at pure compliance here. We're talking about actually how we can get better at doing things and how we can make life simple for, for non-exec directors and indeed boards by giving a nice simple framework where those conversations can really flourish and actual change can actually happen rather than just talking shops. Well, thank you to Mark Elliott and Adele Gale from the Guernsey International Insurance Association for a really thorough explanation of the jurisdiction's new ESG framework for insurers and accreditation scheme. As ever, you can go to the GCP website to check out the bios of Mark and Adele and every other guest from the Global Captive podcast, as well as more information on We Are Guernsey and GIA. And we will also put a few links in the episode show notes to other ESG resources you may find useful. And do look out for the next or latest edition of our quarterly magazine, GCP Insights, which will be published a week commencing the 6th of September, we have lots and lots of content really putting the whole ESG relevance of captives into context. So do go there for some more further reading. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.